Most people in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania know the Broad Street Market as a bustling convergence of a small yet diverse state capital. However, if you go back just a few years ago, you would have seen a farmer's market that was mostly empty. Back in 2014, Andrea Grove had the vision to create an environmentally conscious coffee shop and roastery that blended the art and precision of craft coffee with a friendly and inclusive atmosphere, which cut through the coffee industry snobbery or fine dining rules. Andrea and Elementary Coffee were pioneers to help kickstart the revival of the Broad Street Market. Hello, HYP podcast listeners. This is Derek Weitzel, Executive Director of the Harrisburg Young Professionals. Thank you for listening in to our event series, How It's Built in the Berg, stories of Harrisburg area entrepreneurs and the companies that they have built here. For our first event in 2019, we got to hear about one of our favorite places to get caffeinated, Elementary Coffee Roasters. Larry Binda, Editor-in-Chief and Founder of the Berg Magazine, takes the interview from here. things I really like about this series is that not only do I get to interview some great entrepreneurs, but also I get to interview people who make some of my favorite products. And certainly that is the case tonight because I'm not lying to you when I say that I am a, an enormous fan of Elementary Coffee and I have been purchasing from her from the very beginning, going up to her little stand there in the, in the market. You were there. You were there on our first, our like tasting day before we even, before we even opened, we did like a, I wanted to see the, the traffic flow going through the market at the time, which has changed a lot in the past four years. And uh, Larry was there midday. And I was like, who is this guy asking all these inquisitive questions? Mm-hmm. That's, the kind of That's qu- Larry. Those are the kinds of questions I like to ask inquisitive <laughs> ones. Yes. And, and inquisitive manner, good mm-hmm. questions. That's right. And I recently wrote, wrote, wrote another story about Elementary, but we shall get to that because that's jumping ahead of the story because here we like to go in chronological order as much as possible because, you know, I'm kind of simple, so I need to go in, in that kind of uh, structure. So the first question that I want to ask you, Andrea, is um, just to set the ground. Give us a little bit of your background, where you're from, where you grew up, and um, how you got to Harrisburg. Well, this is a story I really love to tell, and actually it's really cool because my parents are in the audience tonight. Um, I grew up in Shippensburg on a dairy farm, Um, so my dad is a small business owner. It's been in the generation for, this is the third generation, hopefully taking it to the fourth. And my mom is a piano teacher, um, so I grew up in a very musical household, and she's also sitting here, also a small business owner. So I did not know this was in my future, but here we ended up. Um, Yeah, and so in Shippensburg, I went to college at Messiah College. I didn't quite know what I wanted to do. I felt like I had a lot of eclectic skill sets. Um, And so I just got a very general English degree, which they said with this degree that you could do pretty much anything with it. And you know what? You actually really can. So (laughs) this is what I found out was it actually is a very good abstract degree. So I got an English degree, and I started working at Trogues Brewery because I didn't really know what I wanted to do with that degree. and I started working at Trogues Brewery and helped them move to Hershey. And then as I was kind of working with them, I fell in love with their Java Head Stout, 
which uses beans from the only coffee, at that time, the only coffee roaster in town. And I met the owner when he stopped in to deliver coffee for the beer. And I was like, hey, will you teach me how to roast? And he was like, well, we've never actually, uh, we've never actually taught anybody before besides my son, but you know, maybe come in for an interview. So I did, and then Andy Enders, if you know him, was sitting there in his jovial self. And he uh, popped up and was like, you know, you really should hire her. I don't know what he saw in me, but he did. And, uh, and Jeff Smith, the owner of St. Thomas Coffee Roasters, owner, um, hired me. And that was, how, that was how I ended up in coffee, uh, roasting coffee. But yeah, I come from a background that I think is very hardworking. Um, you know, you have to work in all weather, similar to some days working at the Broad Street Market. <laughs> um, and yeah, and really dedicated parents and a really dedicated life. And I think the farming aspect of it definitely taught me to love things that grow. And I think that is some of my, like my enamor towards coffee, my fascination with it. Have you always been a coffee drinker, or was this something that came later? Yes. Well, um, this, the, the origin story of that is that um, my first memory with coffee, well, I have two. One is that we used to go over to a good um, family friend's house, and I think he, uh, the Gomez's, and he was from Mexico. Mexico? A generation before. Yes. And, uh, <laughs> and um, they would serve coffee, and I loved the smell of it. I think most people can say they love the smell of coffee. It's just something that's really enticing. And so they started giving me coffee in like a little, a little mug, a little cappuccino mug. Actually, it might have been an espresso mug. And I'd pour sugar and milk in there. And yeah, then I would drink it and always ask for a second cup. So yeah, I think so. And then you, know, you get to college. Uh, years later, and then you start drinking it just for fuel, because I think everyone gets, that's most people are like, I started drinking coffee in college when I had to, so. <laughs> yeah, so, so my, actually my, not that you're interested in my coffee experience, but I'm going to say it anyway, so. I think uh, it'd be, I think it'd make a really good coffee table book to collect everybody's coffee stories. Oh, that's, that's very meta, I like that. Mm -hmm. So I grew up in a, I grew up in a, an Italian American family, and so we always had coffee around. And the smell of coffee, you're right. I mean, that's the thing that really attracted me more than anything else. But you know, my parents were brewing Maxwell House or something like that, but it still smelled good. It still smells. The old good. percolator, you know, mm -hmm. the water goes up, mm -hmm. bubbles, and that kind of thing. Those um, are good. Yeah, are they? Yeah, you shouldn't like. A lot of people have these really poignant memories of their percolator, and it actually is. It's it's great because it's a continuous uh, continuous. Um, temperature, so it actually is a very particular brewing method that actually is quite good. That's very interesting. I know. Just so, don't so, burn it. So, so anyway, so my, my, Ita my Italian grandmother, in very typical fashion, maybe, you know, back, back then, would, uh, would say, oh, uh, you know, we'd be, be drinking milk, and she would say, oh, just a little here, I'll just give you a little coffee to warm this up, and so that's how, that was my first exposure to coffee when I was, I don't know, seven, she eight years old. Yeah, it's just, oh, it's just, just to warm it up. And so, uh, and ever since then, I've loved coffee, and I love the taste of it. And I started, I started drinking it as a teenager, like you know, you know, in actual cup form. When you got so, to college? No, it was before I was in high school. Oh. You uh, might have been a stressed-out high school student. Uh, I was. <laughs> I already was. Um, That's awesome. Okay, so so then uh, let's continue your story. And so you were at St. Thomas, mm -hmm. and. How long were you there, and and what did you need to to learn? I mean, I guess you need to learn how to roast. What does that involve? So roasting is a is a very particular art form. I think for me, there's a fascination with um, it's like fifty percent 
skill and knowledge and 50% just creativity. And um, so I think that kind of really charmed me. Um, yeah, so there's a lot of technical skill you learn um, just with anything, at crafting anything, making a wooden table, brewing a beer, it all's intertwined in that way. Um, and so learning the technique of brewing was kind of the, the first step. Uh, some of it was taught, a lot of it was, was self-taught, I would say, too, where I just consumed any book on the subject. There's not very many books on the subject, but I think I read all of them. Um, and then the other 50% is creativity and really just working with it. So I think when, if and hopefully when, elementary expands and, you know, I, I assume I will someday have to maybe want to impart the knowledge into somebody else, um, I think about how to describe the creative, the 50% creative part, and how to really uh, tell them what that means. Um, and it's really abstract. So eventually you, you do it over and over again, and hopefully you kind of catch on and realize that each bean behaves differently. Um, each, uh, it's very dependent on even weather and atmospheric pressure. Um, it depends on water moisture in the bean, depends on water moisture in the air. So yes, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of variables that you're kind of playing with, but that's the fun part, is you can play with those variables. Um, so yeah, I learned all of, all of that at St. Thomas, I think, through an extended amount of time. You asked me how long I'd been there, or was there. Um, I think I worked there from 2012, maybe 2011. I don't know. It's all fading together now. I worked there, I think, two, two and a half or three and a half years. And you, you were roasting for them, not for yourself. I was yourself. roasting for them, yes, yeah. Okay. Um, so I took over some of the roasting, which, yeah. Okay. So then how did you then make the transition from working for them to starting your own business? Yeah. Mine was, I, I would say I'm a more of a risk taker now. I think at the time I didn't really quite know what I was getting into, but I knew there was a lot of things that St. Thomas wasn't offering yet that I really wanted to encourage them to offer. And one of those things was cold brew coffee, which strangely enough, because I know it's so pervasive now, really had not arrived in this area. And um, so I started, I developed a cold brew recipe at home, and I tested it out, and I loved it, which that's not all that hard. If you're making cold brew at home, you should really do it if you don't. It's awesome. Um, and I started making that, and simultaneously at Yoga Nature, which existed at that time down the road, um, they started up a organic farmer's market, and they were like, hey, does St. Thomas want to sell something here? And I was like, well, I've developed this cold brew recipe. That's pretty stable. It works in all temperatures. I would love to try to sell this here. And they were like, okay. So I started under St. Thomas's name at um, the organic farmer's market their first summer that they did it. And then about halfway through the summer, uh, there was a gentleman who was involved with the magazine Local that used to be based here in town. Um, and um, named Dan Webster, and he was like, "Hey, you should start up. You should, you should, you should have a stand at the Broad Street Market." And I was like, "Isn't that a failing market? Nobody goes in there anymore." And I really was just really condescending towards it. And he was like, "You know what? You should go I didn't meet." Know this? Yes, I, 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 I was. I was one You're of the first people. Me. Well, because I was sad because I'd been going there for years, and it was it was still it was getting worse. It was not getting better, and I think it was depressing to all of us in town. If you've been in town for a long time, you could just see. Um, we saw friends go in and out. They tried to have a stand, and then it didn't work, or you know, whatever. And I think the direction was just—it was—it was really disheartening. And so I think, you know, at the time, 
Harrisburg wasn't building all that much. There, all the creative ideas were, were just kind of leaving. People were like, this is too difficult. We're just going to go elsewhere. And so, yeah, I, I was yeah, yeah. one of those types. Yeah, I was like, I don't think the market's going to do well. Yeah, there was an, a little infestation problem there for many years. Yeah, so. and then there was that, and I think, yeah, and there was yeah. some... I think that electricity didn't come on for a while. Yeah, I think there was yeah. there was some problems. That can, har that can harm business, yeah. It really could. So, yeah, but then he was like, well, no, you should meet the new market manager. Have you met Ashley? And I was like, all right, I'm, I'll go meet with her. And so I did, and she actually really sold me the idea. So if you have anyone to think about where how elementary came about, it really was, it was Dan Webster and it was Ashley, um, the prior market manager, um, who... She pretty much was like, this is, she's like, you can build whatever you want here. All of your ideas could work here. She's like, you can have whatever space at this barren market that you want. <laughs> so I was like, great, I will. And I took the ones by the beautiful windows where it sits now. And um, I do have to also say Harvest that was there, that's Radish and Rye now, they also, they were huge in, in creating what the market is now because they created something that was beautiful, a little bit more higher end and maybe specific and, and, and detailed. And they, um, and they started to attract a, a different crowd that I definitely benefited from. I didn't know the Dan Webster piece. That's interesting because he used to be my employee. Really? Didn't know that? I did yeah. not, wait, for really? For about six months, yeah, he was. Oh. A whole six months. A whole six months. Oh. He was, yeah, he was my managing editor. Oh. Yeah. And then he moved to Colorado? Yeah, I think there was a little bit of time in between there. He went and did something else and then moved to Colorado eventually. But uh, interesting. Well, yeah. So. He was revolving in the, in the prior Harrisburg history. Okay. So, so he and Ashley are responsible for you setting up the market. Mm-hmm. Um, and you said you were maybe a little skeptical at first. I was, I was very skeptical. In fact, this is the other uh, thing that I will divulge. In my business plan, I didn't think it was going to work at the market. I really was just like, there's no way I'm going to attract a traffic flow. And I really didn't actually know, and I, I didn't know if I could test out if, if Harrisburg was ready for a second specialty coffee shop. Um, and actually, the beautiful thing, and I think it's a testament to where Harrisburg has come, is that we are not only, we're supporting multiple specialty coffee shops. And when multiples of something start to happen in a city, it means the city's doing well. So I think we really only have ourselves to congratulate that we have built Harrisburg and we've, we've taken it this far, which is really cool. But I did not think at the time that <laughs> there was going to be, that elementary was going to succeed. So I said, this will be my test kitchen. I will learn how to run a small business here at the market, and then I'll move it to Carlisle, because Carlisle's nice, and they don't have a coffee shop. And that was, that's still written in the business plan, because I've not updated it. Sorry, Adam Porter, I know I'm supposed to do that. <laughs> um, yeah. Carlisle, uh, Now the plan is to stay in Harrisburg. Oh, okay. Very quickly, I think within the first, within the first month, I realized that, um, that this was a community that I wanted to stay in. It wasn't that I didn't like the people. The reason I set it up at the market, too, was I really thought the best place to take craft coffee, which I thought at the... And I still believe craft coffee can be really inaccessible to some people because it's getting really highbrow or it looks really highbrow or it looks like this kind of higher tier um, with even the glass and the lights and the very high-end wood tones. And I really wanted to set up craft coffee in, a, in the one meeting place of the city and really just say coffee is for everyone. It still is for everybody. If you want a $2 coffee, we have a $2 coffee. It doesn't need to be more complicated than that. 
So yes, and then I realized I wanted to fill that, fulfill that mission, <laughs> so I stayed in Harrisburg. And, and what year was that that you started? So we started up um, in November of 2014. So, yeah. Did it take a while for your business to build up, or was it mm -hmm. like a success immediately? Nope, especially because the market was really, as, so as we, if we're in the continuation of the story, the market was still not doing well when I went in. So it was, um, yeah, I think there was the initial hype that I was surprised at for elementary starting up, and then it fell into, because we opened up in November, we got through Christmas, and then it just fell into the January slump. And I just remember, I think I would have someone come in and help me for two hours out of the day, and otherwise I would just kind of sit there. At one time there was a squirrel that was loose in the market because we had an infestation problem, as we know. There was a squirrel that was loose, and I, you know, one time sketched out this all wanted, dead or alive, of this squirrel, and uh, started posting it places. So yes, we were, we were pretty slow for a couple months. Get some time on your hands. Uh, yes. Squirrel time. Mm -hmm. so, <laughs> squirrel away that time. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> So, um, yeah, there was, there was a long law. I actually think the reason that elementary, it's interesting because I think we could have moved a lot quicker, but I think the first year and a half, if not longer, was really just seeing, just help, like being part of the market kind of speeding up, and um, which, yeah, took a while. But so many, so many minds came into the market and so many good people. It really did start to pick up a mental momentum and I got to hire like two people and then three and then four. And then Saturday started to become the, um, what, how did you put in your art article? It was like kind of ordered, ordered chaos. Something to that Or it was chaos order? Yeah. I think, with a little think, bit of order <laughs> on I think, Saturdays. I think I used the word chaotic in some fashion. Yeah. It was really well described. <laughs> I was like, that's how Saturdays feel. Mm. Yeah. So, so tell us about your, your products and um, what, what types of coffee do you, do you offer? Mm -hmm. And how do you find it? One thing I'm curious about is how do you find what farms and what countries you want to buy coffee from? So that's like, that's the really fun aspect of my job. And that's one thing that I feel like I can take so much further and I'm excited to take it so much further in the future. Um, so initially, um, there's in coffee with most products, there's an importer because you need to have somebody that gets it through customs, brings it from the country of origin, and, um, and it essentially delivers it to your door um, and uh, yeah, your doorstep, and then you are able to roast it. Um, so you need an importer for coffee. Uh, just to get through the certifications and everything else. Um, though coffee is opening up and a lot of people, a lot of farms are now starting to elect representatives or elect family members to come and actually be the importer. So initially we started up with um, kind of a small but diverse uh, importer uh, named Cafe Imports in Minnesota. They, the nice thing about importers, if you ever wanna get a bunch of green bean samples and roast them at home, uh, they'll send you a bunch of samples if you want. So we did a taste testing, and I had some preferences from um, things that I had done, like roasting in the, in the industry for a while. Um, so I tried those out, and, um, and I brought those to the table. So when I first got the samples, this was really cool. Uh, we, I roasted a bunch of them and then sent them out to like a public. So I did actually like a crowdsourcing for that. And I said, hey, what do people like? And I sent the um, samples out to a bunch of friends and a bunch of people that just contacted us um, and saw my Instagram um, story. 
And um, they came and they tried them. And so we started, it was actually a, like a popularity kind of contest for the first batch. And then, um, yeah, then I started uh, bringing in more specific coffee based on preferences, based on um, uh, just what's selling well at the coffee shop. And yeah. Okay, so I Sorry, that was a very long That's one. okay. <laughs> and eventually you moved your roasting operations into the market as well. Um, mm -hmm. did, did that, was that a, a major part of the evolution of your business? Yeah, so prior to that, and St. Thomas was really great, and they let me for the first, like, two years, I was roasting, I owned coffee, but roasting them um, at, uh, on their premise. So they allowed me to use their roaster for about two years, which was incredible and really, really generous. Um, and then it finally was um, time for us to get our own roaster. We saved up, and I realized elementary was not going to fail, was going to succeed, hopefully. And so I set up the roastery at the, at the market. And again, to make the roasting process, which I find very beautiful, and I think is something that a lot of people aren't aware of, um, that what takes place and how um, sensory it is. And I brought that to the market and just so that people could see it as well. Okay. Mm -hmm. And you also offer a lot of interesting specialty drinks and seasonal drinks and things like that. Is that also like just a trial and error thing or what you think is go going to work? Kind of. I think, again, um, there's so many flavors that pair with coffee. Coffee is just like an incredible base for a lot of things. It is, it's delicious on its own, but there's so much, as like a mixologist I think would do in, um, in, in bartending, um, baristas, Drive from the word bartenders. Um, they're a similar, a similar employment and or, uh, occupation, and so they also like to experiment with a lot of these different flavors. Um, yeah, so we like to do fun drinks, but keep them pure. So there's kind of this idea that we still use very raw ingredients. We make a lot of our own syrups. If we're doing syrup and keeping keep the um, the sweeteners and everything uh, pure, kind of underneath, um, but play around because there's a lot of amazing flavors. Um, one of my, one of the things I've actually always wanted to do but haven't just because it's hard to keep up uh, with the demands of the job, uh, but uh, vanilla is, a standard vanilla syrup is awesome and I've always really wanted to make just a really delicious vanilla bean syrup. And someday, in our shop space. Do you, have, do you ever, especially like on a Saturday, stand in back of your counter and just look at all of these people that are masked up and think to yourself, my God, what has become of this? I mean, it's uh, it's a It is a little scene. bit crazy. Sometimes it's a mob scene. Actually, I think one of the greatest pictures was one that you took, which I think was after the first um, uh, uh, Flea or Bazaar, Odd Ones Bazaar, that was at the Millworks, if you attended that in, de in December. And then all the people must have been at the Bazaar, and then they all came over to elementary. And there was like, it was like three deep in front of the um, counter. And there were people working for me, but somehow the picture, they didn't show up. So you just see me pouring a Chemex and there's a mob of people up front. And that was, that's the picture. And yeah, sometimes you just kind of look up and you're like, hmm, they all really want coffee. And you just go back to pouring. <laughs> that's, that's the feeling of success right there. It's a feeling of a little bit of over, overwhelmed chaos. Mm -hmm. okay, maybe that too. <laughs> but it is, really, it is really gratifying to realize that people do wait in line. I really admire people that wait in line for 10, 15 minutes. And then we make the drink, which also takes 10, 15 minutes. Some people wait half an hour for their coffee on a Saturday, which is incredible. I don't think I would do that. <laughs> and, well, and I think they're happy to do it. Well, 
the thing about the market now is, probably everybody here knows already, is it's amazing transformation over the last few years. And it's gone from being what you said, kind of a this sort of sad, pathetic place, to being a really happy place. And people love to be there. And it's so social. It's just had this incredible renaissance. It really has. And I think that's, it's really been the market managers and it's been um, the vendors that have come in and also seen it as a place to incubate their business and start something up. But it has also been the Harrisburg community. So. Thanks, everyone. Okay. Well, since you brought up the word incubator, so uh, it's, a, it's a very cold night tonight, but I remember an extremely cold night about a few weeks ago, a month ago, whatever, in, uh, in, in a, a place with no heat, but a, bun, a lot of candles. There was a lot of candles. There were a lot of candles. <laughs> so uh, talk about the next phase of elementary. So yeah, we announced, if you've been following us online, we announced that our shop space, our independent shop space, should hopefully be opening spring of 2019, which is again a testament to how far we've come and the support that we've gotten from our community. Um, and yeah, it's in, it's in the works. My electrician is, is sitting back there. That's Clem. He's lovely. <laughs> um, yeah, but we, in order to announce it, we've been working on it for about maybe five or six months, and we'd been working on a, another project actually um, over a year ago that I actually pulled out of because it just didn't feel right. So that kind of set us back and um, was very hesitant to announce too early that project or this project until we really knew it was happening and that I could feel very excited about it. So I like very, I had someone text Larry saying, hey, this thing's happening at this space and there's no electricity there, but there will be candles. And I don't even know if she said that. I was just like, bring a jacket. And he showed up and we had this amazing, just kind of toast to ourselves and toast to the space. And um, I had told the building owner, who's uh, Matt Krupp, if you know him, he, uh, I told him, yeah, there's, this, there's gonna be this gathering. If you see some flickering lights in, in the building, don't get alarmed, I'll have a fire extinguisher. Because that's what, that's what you want in a construction zone, 50 candles <laughs> on the floor. The building is still there. <laughs> it is. Still there. <laughs> yeah. do, do we know when uh, you might be able to move in? So that depends on a lot of variables that we're still figuring out. Unfortunately, like we're as eager as everybody else to see it up and running. Um, we are seeing a general spring. I think it'll be on the later side of spring. Yeah. The, it's going, the, the construction project, like many construction projects, taking longer than everybody thought. Yes. I mean, especially that particular building. I mean, those buildings were practically collapsed to the ground, and then Matt Krupp bought them and is renovating them almost from scratch. So it's just amazing what's happening over there. Yeah, the only reason um, they said that they were actually uh, worth keeping was they have, a, like, a metal infrastructure. But they pretty much, they ripped the buildings down to the ground. If you'd walked by at all. Actually, I walked by the buildings... Um, and there was, when there was just like a hole in the ground and they were ripping stuff and throwing things in the basement. And I was like, oh, it looks like they're renovating that. And I was like, ah, oh, that's another building that I actually, like I won't get. Because at this point I'd toured like a billion buildings. Everyone had plans for the spaces if I inquired as to what they were building out. And little did I know they did not have plans for that building and they were gonna rebuild it and we moved in. And that is, that's um, Kui from Amanja Kui and Rubicon, she was the one that stopped by and was like, hey, they're renovating buildings on my street. You might want to talk to Matt Krupp. And I was like, Matt Krupp, I toured another building with him. He has another building for sale if you're interested. If anyone is interested in looking in the real estate business, <laughs> there's another building I think he's renting out. Um, do you think at, at your new location that you're going to be have a different kind of clientele? I think, um, yeah, and I think 
that actually is something that we need in order to expand and grow. Um, so we're hoping to attract more of a, a capital crowd, more people that live down there, um, crowds that maybe work on Thursday, Fridays, Saturdays that can't get us currently. So I think there's going to be a little bit of a different feel, but I didn't want to move it too far. Um, so that was part of the reason I wanted it down there was to attract a different crowd. Um, but I didn't want to move it so far that um, everyone who visits us now didn't feel like you know, they were welcome. So we're actually putting a lot of things in that our current stand has to hopefully make everyone feel comfortable in it. It won't be like a, an exact duplicate. That would be weird. But yes, there is a, there is a very lovely kind of tie-in. OK, well, what else are you going to have there? Um, so we'll have, when you come in the doors, you're going to have uh, the beautiful bar area. Um, we hope to bring back pour overs and just different types of drinks. Uh, hopefully, maybe the vanilla bean syrup will end up there and a lot more mixology drinks. We want to have a rotating menu that has um, some very, like, specialty, maybe kind of mystery drinks on it as well that the uh, baristas create. Um, and then, yeah, you enter into the seating area, and there's um, going to be a lot of possibilities for an event venue there. So we're talking everything from, like, yoga classes in the morning, like Saturday mornings really early to... Um, you know, obviously, hopefully, performances and shows and some spoken words and poetry. Well, thank you so much for opening it a block from my house. I really appreciate it. I know that I did it just you for had you. me in mind. I, I realized that. Yes. You know? But actually, you did kind of make, you did make me laugh you know, inside when you said about the crowds because, I mean, literally, it's you know, less than a half mile, I guess, distant, but in Harrisburg. That's like, oh, my God, I have to cross Forster Street. It's a totally different world. It's well true. Mars. Well, hopefully in the way, my goal is in the way that people have learned to seek us out at the market, they will also learn to seek us out there. But also maybe it'll do even greater things for North Street in that particular area. But it is a community. As you know, you live, you live there. And um, yeah, hopefully just continue that community. Yeah, I think, we'll see. Yeah, I think you'll get... It's no Carlisle, but... No, I think, what, what is? Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I think you'll get community people, and you will get you know, state workers. But state workers have to cross Third Street, which is, you know, also might as well be the Grand Canyon. But uh, yeah, but you'll you'll get a, you'll get a different and diverse and, and perhaps more professional crowd, I guess. Yeah, pe more people in suits, I expect. We'll see. We'll see. Hopefully, we'll have a good diversity. <laughs> yeah. Um, so so. What do you think is so far the, one of the smartest things you've done in your business? Like, what decision did you make that maybe was a, maybe a little hard and upon reflection you think to yourself, yeah, I'm really glad I did it. That was a smart thing to do. Actually, probably pulling out of the last project. Um, I think that was really that was really hard because I, I wanted it and I wanted it to happen in year three. I thought that was the year. I was tired of making everyone wait half an hour for a coffee on a Saturday, and I was like, okay, we'll expand the business, and it'll be 2018, 17, whatever year that was, this is the year. And it wasn't. I decided this wasn't right, and it set us back, and that was really hard. But looking at it now, I realized that was actually the best decision I could have made, and it's okay to like get into something and realize it's not right and pull out and apologize and just but say it's not right. In the same way that you know, relationships with people sometimes don't work out or they change or you have to um, 
really just say how you really feel in the moment. Kind of the same thing with business. Yeah. But it was hard. Yeah. Uh, a very successful and smart businessman who I know once told me that some of the smartest things are the decisions or the things that you don't do. I can't remember exactly how he said it. It wasn't the decisions that you don't make, but when, when you think you're going to do something, just like you said, and you end up not doing it, and you realize a year later that that was a very smart thing to do, to not actually do that project. Yeah. yeah. Um, what do you think is one of the dumbest things you've done? <laughs> oh, man, that one is, that one is good. A long, um, long list. Dumbest things that I've done. Oh, I'm thinking of so many dumb things now. <laughs> I think um, one of the dumbest things is um, question why. Question why uh, milk isn't sold in glass bottles anymore, and then realize every single time I smash one, that is exactly why they're not sold in glass bottles anymore. That's an easy answer. But I think, I think that's a hard one. Um, there's been you know, some things I've said to people that I think I regret. That feels really dumb upon reflection. You're, on, you're in a public space and you're interacting with people and you realize you didn't actually handle something with grace and, or maybe you let too much of your feelings come through. That was a broader answer. Yeah, but at the same time, it's good to have that kind of reflection because then... It's hard. You're impacting a lot of people, I think, regardless of what your business stress, is going. You know, yeah. yeah. And sometimes, like, at least for me, like, I think my energy level just, like, plummets throughout the day until I get to this and, you know, I'm dizzy. Uh, <laughs> and, um, yeah, and I, I think that it's hard to keep up that stamina that people expect from you and just, like, kind of that authority it gets, it gets really tough. And so sometimes you say the wrong thing or the person takes it the wrong way or they haven't had their coffee yet and they're just really sensitive. Since, since we're speaking maybe on the more negative side of the ledger, let me hit you with, that, with another one, which is what so far has been one of the greatest challenges in your business? I think um, definitely building a good staff and crew as much as I love everybody, again, everyone's really diverse and I care so much about them, but it's hard. They're trying to see my vision, I'm trying to see theirs. I'm trying to take care of them, I'm trying to be their friend. I'm trying to give them an opportunity. They're trying to also fulfill that. And it's just, it's really hard having a crew and also getting who you want and feeling comfortable with them. And I think most small business owners, I think would say it's really hard to trust people. It's really hard to just let go. And I'm having to learn to let go because we're growing. And I need to. I need to step away, and it's it's hard. That's definitely probably an ongoing challenge. I don't think that's ever going to change, and it's always going to be different. I thought I'd seen every personality that like could come at me, and then you just hire someone new, and you're like, this is a new one. All right, you know, and you learn to work with it. And I think just being flexible is just really, really good. So yeah. Practically everybody who I've interviewed in this series has given me uh, some version of that answer. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Staffing. Must people, be really challenging. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Retaining people, getting good people, all of that stuff. Yeah. It's hard. Would you say it's hard? Uh, it's very hard. Yeah. I mean, I'm in a completely different business, but it's, it's very challenging too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so when I came, when I came to Harrisburg, there was no local roaster at, well, maybe St. Thomas was around at that time, but I didn't really know about them because they're up in Langlestown but at least certainly not in the city. And now there are a couple. Um, 
why do you think that is? Are, are people's like tastes improving? Um, why? I think it's a lot of um, people, like the shop local movement, a lot of people are actually wanting to get locally sourced products again, which is really exciting to see. For a while, the um, society was moving and they just they didn't want to see where any of their food was produced. And I think we've now realized that's wrong. You um, disconnect from your food and it's um, very detrimental to you and your culture. Um, so now people are getting back into that let's shop local, let's see where our food is coming from. And they realize that actually a lot of food, because they're not producing it in that way, a lot of food is really beautiful, and they're getting really charmed by it. And so I think society's moving that direction, so therefore, like a lot of, a lot of businesses are then sort of falling in line with that. So I think roasting is becoming important because um, businesses are um, trying to sort of fulfill that. So uh, in the years that I've been here, there have been more and more type of craft food businesses that, that have opened, and whether we're talking about coffee or beer or pizza or all of these wonderful new, um, much higher quality products than I had seen before. And a lot of them um, are produced and owned by women. So uh, do you think that, what do you, what do you think might be a particular challenge for women-owned businesses, especially in Harrisburg. What, what is your opinion on that? I got really frustrated at the beginning because I felt um, I felt like when I walked in a room that I had to spend at least 15 minutes throwing out the correct jargon and looking like I knew what I what I was talking about because I, do, I think a lot of people, I got the sense that a lot of people didn't really believe that I was actually doing what I said I was doing. And so there was a lot of, I felt like time wasted as a woman just trying to convince people that yes, you know what you're doing and yes, you can do math. And I think that was really disappointing because I don't think our school systems are set up in any sort of gender bias anymore. I don't really think colleges are. But I found the uh, small business world and the business world to still be in the favor of, of men at least in the particular line of work that I was working with. And there are not that many female roasters. There are more popping up. But just any small business, I think, I think a lot of other people, a lot of other women, women in the small business industry would actually say the same thing. And that's, I think that's just sad, and I think we can do better. But it's, you know, I think it plays on a lot, of, a lot of things that our society is still struggling with, in which male voices are perceived as more dominant and knowledgeable than women's voices. Um, and uh, there's actually, I mean, interesting study along those lines is when Ryan Spar, if you know, he works, still works because he is Ryan Spar, still works for me occasionally. But he and I would be working a lot of shifts together, and people would come up and um, say, oh, so you must be the owner of the business. And they would look at him. And there was no concept in a lot of people's minds that I, was, I could possibly be the owner. Or they would say, oh, how long have you two owned this business? Or they would say, how long have you two been married? And we were none of those things. He, was, he worked for me. And, and we would kind of laugh it off because that's what you have to do. But um, yeah, it's still, I think it's still really, it's still tough to run a business as a, as, a, as a woman. But more and more people are doing it, so we're gonna change the tide. All right. <laughs> um, so, the, People who uh, attend I was Built on the Berg often, or at least sometimes, have business aspirations of their own, I've found. 
And uh, it seems like every, everybody practically has some idea for a small business and maybe in the back of their mind they want to leave their office job and open a shop somewhere. So what advice would you give somebody who's seriously considering opening a, a small business, especially here in I Harrisburg? I love this question. This is the best question. This is really great because I don't know how many people would stop by again at the beginning of elementary and say, oh, this is really great that you're doing this. I had this idea once. Um, I never did it. And do it. Is at the the, the worst that could happen is what I told myself when I started was that it could fail. And then you would, um, you know, shave your head and move someplace else. And uh, <laughs> no, but the worst that could happen is it could fail. And you would be out some money and you'd be out a lot of time and energy, but that's it. Then you'll start over and you'll pick up and you'll do something else. But there's no time like the present. It's going to be scary, but you can absolutely do it. If you put your mind to something to build something, you absolutely can. Even if it's, it'll, it won't turn out like you pictured it, you might never move to Carlisle. Someday, Andrea, someday. Keep dreaming. I really don't want to go anymore. That's not even, it's not a plug for Carlisle, though it is a lovely and charming city, mm -hmm. town. Yeah. But yeah, you, can, you, you really can do it. it, it it'll change. It'll, be, it'll turn into a beast. Sometimes it'll be simultaneously your worst nightmare and your best friend. It'll feel like your crying child in the middle of the night. I've never had a child, but I, this is what I imagine. Um, it'll, it'll demand a lot from you. It'll demand friendships. It'll take some people away that don't understand. But everything risky in life does. But it also has the purest form of happiness, especially if you're doing something that you love. Yeah. That's a great response because that, when, I, when I started the Berg, to make this about me for a second, um, I actually, I told myself the same thing. But I did shave yeah. my head. So, <laughs> and, and, but. Seems like you All right. might have had um, to. Uh, yeah, I think so. <laughs> No, but, 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 but seriously, I, that is what I said to myself. I said, okay, I'm going to give this a shot, and mm -hmm. we're just going to see what happens. And if it fails, it fails, and I half expect it to fail. And then I was, okay, I'll move back to, back to D.C., where I came from. But here I am 10 years later. And yeah. So speaking of the future, so in five years, what, what do you envision, even if it's just dreaming, what, what do you think for elementary in five years? I would really love for hopefully the shop to have worked. Um, maybe we'll move to Carlisle, but um, I think for me, I really, I don't want to populate the city with um, a bunch of coffee shops. I really want to have one really good one in which we are providing for the community. Um, I would love to expand the roasting side and I would love to get into far more into direct trade, so cutting out the importer a little bit more. They're super important, but you know, maybe I'll take some of the risk and really work with the farmers, which brings it back to where I came from. That's what I hope to see for elementary. Question number one from the audience. What was the biggest financial obstacle that you faced in growing your business until this point? Definitely the roaster. The roasters are very expensive. Um, I ran elementary in a very, in, still I'm running, in a very interesting manner, which I know this doesn't work for all people, but this is why the market is really great, and which um, I didn't have to build out a storefront. So I just... Um, 
Um, I put in a lot of my own money, and we have actually not ever taken a loan up until this point. And elementary has only grown as the business has grown. So possibly have grown a lot s slower than a lot of people would. Um, but yeah, so financially, not paying myself is still a thing I really battle with uh, because all the money is sucked back into the business. Um, and yeah, and just saving up for large purchases. I think other people that had need to have investors and loans um, initially right off the bat would face a lot more financial struggle than me. I think the first year and a half or two years that elementary and the market was just like not doing well was very terrifying. I did not know if I would ever get paid. I did not know if I could pay, pay my employees and you don't want to let them down in that way. Okay, uh, next question. What type of business is Harrisburg missing? Who has this question? Because I want to know what idea. What ideas do you have? <laughs> this is so good. Yeah, um, I'm sure Adam Porter would also have some ideas here. <laughs> well, and, My gosh, yes. Well, the, the problem is that Adam will have it and then open it. So. <laughs> yes. This is so true. I definitely, I've definitely thought of some, and I'm actually drawing a blank right now as to what they were. I'll get back to you on that. <laughs> let's, let's think on that one. So somebody's wondering if you're hiring. <laughs> Is this someone who doesn't want to start up their own small business yet? Mm -hmm. uh, yes. The, the answer is not currently. We are accepting resumes for the new shop. Um, one thing that I'm doing is sitting down with all of my employees, asking them what they want, because a lot of this shop has really been necessary, and I've wanted to you know, create it for them so they could have full-time jobs, so we could have health insurance, um, all the things with uh, being able to have a full-time position and a focus. Uh, but yes, all the gaps that we need to fill in, we're hiring for those. Okay. So here's a good question. How do you view engagement with political societal issues as related to the business? <laughs> How does view engagement with political society issues related to the business? So this goes into, there was a choice, I think, back in 2016, a year that we will all remember, in which I decided that just because we were a business and there is this idea of kind of staying anonymous as a business and not taking any sort of sides in issues, that we were not going to be that sort of business, that I think is really important for myself to still maintain opinions and have opinions and be a strength in the community and not just hide behind the business when it comes to addressing inequalities and a lot of other issues in which our society has always faced, is facing in a blaring degree right now. Um, and as we have moved down that direction, I think we are political dissenters, which I know is not, I've been told that is not the way to run a, a business, but is the only way in my mind to stay true to who I am, who my employees are, and what we can do for the community. I said that very slowly because I think that is a very difficult question, and there's so much more I could be doing. There's so many people I could offend when I say these things. But I think a lot of society is, is 
is built towards making people feel better about themselves and allowing people to kind of hide behind some closed doors and not address issues. And I think it's important that people just have a couple nudges into maybe thinking about a current event and thinking about what's going on in the world and how they're treating their neighbor. And if we can help with that just a little bit, then we are going to do that. Okay. So the next question is kind of a 180. Although we actually talked, we already sort of addressed this, which is just, can we talk about money? But didn't we already talk about money? I think we yeah. I, I run it very strangely. I do, I, as what I've been told, I run it in a way that I feel like my parents have taught me about money, which is you don't spend it if you don't have it. But that is a really hard thing in business because eventually you need to build a shop space and you need some money and some capital to do that. I was very lucky that I was able to purchase cheap equipment. But if you remember elementary when you first started stopping by, there was a cheaper espresso machine and there was just basic equipment. We did not have a lot and we've really just built up from there. And I think that has put us in a very strong position now. Okay, I like the next question. How do you get inspired? Reading. I read every night before I go to bed. Most nights, unless I'm very tired. Um, yeah, I take a lot of inspiration from that and I take a lot of inspiration very much so now from everyone who stops by the stand. Everyone is creative, bright, have a lot of ideas, sometimes are a little grumpy, sometimes a little bit over-exuberant, and those are where a lot of the creativity comes from now. But I think my parents would say I was also always pretty creative, and I would make a wardrobe for my little Lego guys, and we were publishing little Lego books and little, yeah. We have a whole box of little things that I made. Okay, here's another question that we've touched on already a, a little bit, but I'll ask you anyways, maybe there's more to say. Do you ever wish to go beyond coffee? If so, what, when, and why? I've thought about this, because especially if elementary would change, or something would, or let's say like the market would collapse, or you know we'd be in some other financial strait, which we easily could be, would I do something else? And I think absolutely. I think though now I've got the bug and I, like Adam Porter, would want to build, would want to build something else. Um, I've always actually really wanted to get into actually the farming side of coffee or the importation side of coffee. That would be really cool. I'm also very fascinated in language. The thing I met out, uh, left out of my, my history was I really wanted to go teach abroad. And I think I would still really love to do that and have that opportunity as well. Um, those are my two things right now. Okay. <laughs> All right, so again, changing gears again. Uh, what is your favorite brew method and what is your favorite non-coffee drink? Ooh, so my favorite brewing method is the AeroPress. If you know me for a while, I love that thing. It is great, it's awesome. You can do so much with it and it still tastes delicious every single time, it is brilliant. I was so skeptical because it's not sexy, it's plastic, but you can take it hiking, you can take it on an airplane. I've done both things, it's great, it's awesome. Um, what was the other? Favorite non-coffee drink? Bourbon. <laughs> That's and not whiskey. coffee. Yeah. But if you put some coffee beans in it, it tastes like coffee whiskey, and then it's also very good. That does sound good. Um, okay. Uh, maybe this is a good segue to the next question. Studies have shown coffee is good for your health and also, and also bad for your health. Um, despite being biased, which is it? Doctor. How does Doctor it feel Earth. when you drink it? Mm -hmm. 
I do. I feel like a legal drug dealer. That's like the term that's come out more where people show up and they're like, I need coffee. And you're like, is this healthy to give to you? Um, we all need coffee. I think it's good for you. Possibly moderation like most things in life. And we touched upon this question as well. I don't know if you want to expound on it more or not, but it says, please uh, expand on why you pulled out of that deal a few years ago. Well, I can also talk to whoever <laughs> asked me this. I think that was, I was, I really wanted elementary space to be shared with somebody else because coffee is great, but it also feels like it can do more in a space. So I was going in with another company. Um, I found out that while elementary was strong, this other company didn't quite know what they were doing. And I realized it was not worth, in that sense, it was not worth risking what I had built with this other company. They are a very good company. I think highly of them. We left on good terms. Um, but it was not right. Okay. Yeah. And do you, do you currently ship coffee? Yes, we have an online store. I mean, okay. not overseas. If you're trying to send it to someone in Latvia, don't have that access yet. But all through the US. Someone wants to know about shipping considerations. Any special shipping considerations? Yes. Email me. <laughs> we have a website. Okay. I will see what I can do. All right. <laughs> and th th those are the questions. So if anybody has any, anything else, uh, speak up. If not, I guess we'll wrap, wrap it up. Yeah. That's a good question, too. Good question. Well, actually, so I was, I always thought about elemental, but that one was taken, so I had to take the second best. <laughs> no, so elementary, because we were learning, it's a distinguished word, but everyone has a, because of elementary school, they have this interaction with the word. Um, also, I knew I wanted the initial um, graphics and branding to just be the word itself. So my brother and I, who did all of our initial branding and did the beautiful hand-carved wooden sign, um, he and I, I was really looking for a word, and elementary is really balanced. It's a gorgeous word when you look at it. It has so much symmetry, but it also has some play on the word. Um, and then I kind of wanted elementary to look like a 1960s chemistry lab, and somehow that seemed to work with the whole idea of elements and elemental. And I think, actually, I was looking on our Facebook. I have this funny little write-up that's still on there that's this real kind of philosophical thing of like earth, air, fire, and water, and roasting processes, and everything goes through with it. That, that all spawned out of elementary. Did you consider any other names? Yeah, so I considered besides elemental and some other plays on element. Um, I actually looked into curmudgeon coffee for a while. I thought that would have been hilarious because that's how I feel about myself, at least internally. Uh, and that one was actually already taken as well. And then I looked into compass coffee. I was really interested in maps. Um, maps are really cool too. And they are, they're directional. You can do so much with them. Legend, I think, was the thing that I thought of. Those were not right. Elementary, when I found it, it was, it was right.
Thank you for listening to the HYP podcast. Our next event will be on March 27, 2019. So you can learn more about this event series and others by heading to our website, hyp.org. Special thanks to our event sponsors, MNT Bank, Startup Harrisburg, and The Berg Magazine. Also, thank you to Clark Stefanik for the recording and editing of this podcast. Until next time, keep building in the Berg.